most of my work, honestly, is listening and really helping people just feel what they're feeling and trying to process. Two words that really have um, come up, for me at least, in this pandemic and I've seen on the floor is those issues of isolation and helplessness. And those are felt in so many different fronts of this pandemic and um, whether it's patients or families or even the staff having those same feelings. You may have dealt with more than your share of sadness and loss this year. It's been a difficult year for so many people. But for the Reverend Allison Weibel, these things aren't just a fact of 2020. They're also her job. The Reverend Weibel is a hospital chaplain for Mercy Hospital St. Louis, and she joins us today to discuss that work. Reverend Weibel, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So let's start with sort of the very basic thing. What do you see as the role of a chaplain? So a chaplain, as a hospital chaplain, I provide spiritual and emotional support for our patients and families, and that looks different for different families um, because I view spirituality in a pretty broad way of simply it's how we cope with being human. It's how we make sense of being human. And so for some, that has very specific religious needs, but for others, and when you're in a hospital, um, it's about trying to make sense of what's going on in their world right then. Hmm. So you are at a Catholic hospital. Uh, do you approach things at all from that perspective? I start with the patient um, and where they are with their spirituality and what those needs are, and we go from there. Okay. So they really help shape which direction it goes. Absolutely. It's very patient-driven. And so while the hospital is a Catholic hospital and we adhere to those um, ethics and spirituality, when it comes to patient care, it's patient-centered, and we start with, yeah, where they're at. And so they might share a bit about their religious background, or do they generally just jump right in and start talking to you about what they're dealing with? Oh, gosh, it depends on the person. Um, And that's one of the joys is that you never know what... I never know what I get when I walk into a room. And so, but being in a hospital is such a vulnerable place for people that often they're really just trying to make sense of what's going on with them, whether it's because of a new diagnosis or um, a long-term illness or family members who are struggling with grief. I mean, it's a wide gamut of the kind of issues we ended up dealing with. And so it really depends on the space they're in when we walk into the room at that moment. When you say when you walk into the room, um, are they summoning you to come into the room or do you pop by to to see if anybody could use some help? Um, Both. So it depends. Again, it depends. There are, um, they're kind of my own red flags I hear when I hear about what's going on with patients that sometimes I think I should check in on them. Other times patients themselves will bring up an issue that they want to discuss or have a need that they're able to articulate. So it it really depends. I have the fortune to be unit-based, so I work in specifically two units in the hospital. And so I get to know our staff as well, and they often will um, raise concerns with me or um, kind of give me a heads up that someone's struggling that day. Okay. So they might know that somebody is in need of this, even if they don't Mm -hmm. quite realize it yet. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think there's, when when people hear the word chaplain, there's often um, a lot of 
misconceptions, but also just assumptions made. And so, um, but really we're just, I do most of my work honestly is listening and really helping people just feel what they're feeling and trying to process what they're, they're dealing with in those moments. Hmm. So what so many people have been dealing with this year relates to COVID-19. When did you first start getting access to, to people who were dealing with that um, in these units that you serve? Well, um, one of the units I serve is our step-down unit, our transitional care unit, and honestly, COVID came to that unit. And so from the very beginning in March, when we started having our first COVID admissions, um, myself and my coworkers up there were beginning to care for those patients and specifically their families as well, because my role isn't just patient care, it's family care, and especially with COVID, with um, the limited access that people have to their family members, that's become a really important piece of the work I do. Hmm. So they they need been, to talk to you about the fact that they can't get to talk to their loved one? Absolutely. Or they're processing the information they're hearing from the, the, the medical team um, and trying to understand. Or we've tried to help facilitate communication by video visits. Or sometimes families will send me a picture to print out and to place on someone's wall. Or just just to process all of it because it's you know, the two two words that really have um, come up for me, at least in this pandemic, and I've seen on the floor is those issues of isolation and helplessness. And those are felt in so many different fronts of this pandemic. And um, whether it's patients or families or even the staff having those same feelings. So this idea of isolation, I mean, um, uh-huh. that was designed to help keep this disease from spreading. Were you were you frightened going into these rooms where family members weren't allowed to be right. there with, with people who were suffering? Yeah, at the beginning, I actually, we didn't go into rooms at the beginning because no one knew, right? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was all so new. And so as things have gone on, I've begun, I had the freedom to use my professional judgment as to who had higher needs and who needed a visit inside a room versus a phone call versus standing outside the room versus strictly family care on the phone. And so I've been able to make those evaluations myself. And so, of course, the nervousness is there, but I've also trusted the process and the PPE. And um, there's just such, the the needs are so high. It's hard to stay away. You are now going into those rooms, people who who are suffering from COVID-19. Yes. And at end of life and compassion care and those kinds of things. Absolutely. And and so I know, as you say, each case is so different, but for yeah. people who are uh, suffering from this mm-hmm. disease, what kind of conversations have you been able to have with them? Um, it depends. It, um, there's conversations around, you know, I've had several conversations with people who are anticipating being intubated, and that's a scary conversation to have, to mm-hmm. see that kind of looming on the horizon for someone. Um, I have conversations with about fam- with family members about um, how to make decisions um, about whether their loved one's going to make it or not. Um, how would they even go about grieving? Um, or how would they go about even having an end-of-life ritual in a situation where they're trying to decide even whether or not they should be at the bedside because we have allowed family members in at the at end-of-life situations. And so we talk even then about how we still ha- can have a I borrow the phrase a good death from the hospice work I trained in, mm-hmm. um, but how we even do that in an end-of-life situation and in a hospital setting and with a scenario like COVID. 
So this work sounds so important, but it also sounds so heavy. I mean, have you been able to to bear the burden this year without yourself falling down? Um, I appreciate time off. <laughs> I appreciate um, really embracing my family when I'm able, when I do have that time off and the gift they give me of letting me nap when I need to. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been a challenge and I've leaned on my coworkers, the staff that are on those floors have been amazing, and we we often support each other. And a lot of the work I started doing, too, um, when we pivoted with COVID was around staff care as well. And I, I've, I've come to realize I receive a lot from them as well as as give. How are staff members doing in the midst of all this? I mean, we're, we're seeing some pretty heavy case volumes lately. Have, have I guess, first of all, I should ask, how have things been on the floors you work um, in recent weeks? Um, it's been stressful. It's been more intense. I think we were all feeling the burden um, a little bit more, and it ebbs and flows, and um, the intensity ebbs and flows as we go. Um, and I think there's an accumulation of grief, and so when that intensity starts to rise, um, we start to feel that accumulation more, um, and, and there's no need to find some kind of relief release for that. And are, are staff members finding that, you know, the healthcare professionals mm-hmm. that you deal with, how are they holding up in the midst of all this? I think they're tired. I think um, they're ready to see an end. You know, we had a little bit of light last week um, when Mercy started giving out dose one of the vaccine. And you could feel a, a lightness a little bit of saying maybe there's something can change because it does start to feel like we're that we can't keep going the way we are. It feels because that just that burden, that accumulation just becomes really thick and really, really intense after a while. And everybody up there needs a break of some kind at some point. Is there a day that stands out to you as this was just the hardest day in this whole many month slog? (laughs) Yeah, there's a few of them. Um, Sometimes they're the days that was the first time something happened. So for example, I still remember the first moment I um, prayed a prayer of, of commendation for the dying for a patient that I was not at bedside for, but did through the window and with a family member. Um, and I remember, um, I re- again, and then I remember one of the first times where it's just the intensity, So it's, and it's the unexpected. And that's the thing about COVID that's it's so unexpected. We'll have patients who you think are about to walk out the door and then suddenly you know, don't. They code. Something else happens. And when you thought they were getting better, the trajectory changes really quickly. And so um, so some days that are memorable for not being great ones are because of just multiple deaths or multiple intensity, multiple things happening that are intense those days. That sounds so yeah. hard. I mean, it just, <laughs> how do you even keep going under under that burden? It just, it, it feels almost impossible. But there's also, I don't know, it's like anything hard in life. There's also the part where you see people come together and you see family members even able to find meaning and find ways of saying goodbye that is part of that kind of life cycle. And and these are none of these are ideal circumstances. But to watch resiliency, to watch people pivot and be creative, um, to watch my staff who are amazing people and who just rose to the occasion. None of us chose COVID, right? No one chooses this. And yet um, they've really risen to the challenge and they're caring and people who want what's best. And I admire getting to work with them. They inspire me to keep, to keep going. 
We're talking today to the Reverend Allison Weibel. She's a hospital chaplain for Mercy Hospital St. Louis, dealing with a very difficult 2020 and, and still finding some moments of, of grace and it sounds like even things mm-hmm. that uh, that can make you feel good in the midst of all of this. I feel like so many of us, we just feel tongue-tied by other people's grief. What would be mm-hmm. your advice for people who are seeing friends or family suffering or dealing with death and just don't know what to say? I would say... Don't feel like you have to say anything. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we open our mouths when really just being there and letting them know that you see them is the most important thing. Um, I think sometimes it's not words. It's it's going to be something else, which is hard in a time where you can't just go sit with somebody, right? We don't always get that luxury right now of being in the same physical space, but finding ways to let people know you're there, but words... Words get in the way of that compassion sometimes, I think. Yeah, that that seems like that's got to be so yeah. much harder to do over, say, Zoom. I mean, is, yes. there, <laughs> yes. is there a way you can sort of be there for somebody without being able to be there for them? Oh, what a great question. I'm trying to think off the top of my head right now. I had this image of getting just sending someone a picture of a candle you, li- you light for them. Mm-hmm. Or um, and maybe this is where we do go to images instead of words um, in a time where the words are just... It's overwhelming, and there is nothing that can be said that, that fixes. This isn't about fixing things, um, but definitely about somehow just showing that connection. It's about connection right now. What's a common thing you say to families and patients that all of us might benefit from hearing now? Oh, gosh. Again, I try not to use words <laughs> when, when I can. <laughs> Sorry, we're in the but, wrong medium for images. Wrong I, medium. I shouldn't have asked that. No, I lo- no words are good, too. Um, honestly, I find myself acknowledging that, yes, it's all suffering. And sometimes people say, oh, my gosh, you must see all of this. when we're in it. And I say, yes, but this is your mom. This is your dad. This is your spouse. And so we're all feeling this. But when it's yours, it's... It's a whole different, it's a whole different thing. And we all have to sit in this grief. We have to sit in the loss of it. Um, And these are not ideal circumstances. And so we don't live in the ideal right now. So for people who are, for people who are, it really is depressing. It is, but it's also true. And I Mm -hmm. think when it's true and we say that, then we can also, then it, then it lets us also let in the joy or the memories or the connect- ways of connecting that are there that outweigh that depressing time, that outweigh any of that. Yeah, I mean, for people who've lost someone they really love in this past yeah. year, we're, we're headed into this holiday season. What would be your advice for them acknowledging that grief or remembering it in the middle of holiday festivities? That's a hard thing, isn't it? And mm-hmm. in, in a time when not only is it that there might be someone missing from that dinner table, but everything's different. Everything feels different in the way. And so letting it be different might be my advice. Just letting it be different. Letting some of those traditions and those things fall away if they're, if they're naturally falling away. But at the same time, if there's something that you need to hold on to, to lean into, that really feels like that place of connection, then that's what we hold on to right now. You mentioned one other spot of good news, and that is that um, people started to get vaccinated at, at yes. your hospital last week. Yes. I'm wondering, are you? where do you stand in line? Are, are you going to see a vaccine soon? Um, I actually saw one last week. Ah. Into my arm, yes. So, so that's got to feel good. 
You know, I was surprised at the emotional reaction I had to it, honestly, um, because it does, I for, it's been nine, ten months now, and I forgot the kind of um, tension I carry, and part of that is affiliated with what if I get sick? What if I take it home to my family? And that's taking it home to my family, of course, is the, is the worst case scenario in my mind. And so to realize that some of that was easing up, that there might be a little more breathing room, um, that was a relief. And it felt, um, I was surprised by that feeling. Did you almost have a physical reaction to, to feeling, hey, this, is, this burden has been taken off me? Um, yeah, I think I did. I felt a, you know, a release in my chest. I, I, felt, I felt like I could rest a little bit in a different way. And I find even when I was walking the halls this morning, I, I found myself going, wow, that resistance I have or that kind of checkpoint I have in my head of like, is this something I need to go into the room for? Is this not? I find myself thinking, I'm not going to have to worry about that in quite the same way. And that even that, that layer that's been added to what it, my assessments and to my workload, um, I could feel that starting to bend a little bit. And that, that was nice. So you felt that starting to bend, and we know that mm-hmm. in, in some months' time, so many more people are going to be in that same boat. Do you see at yeah. this point the light at the end of this tunnel? I don't know. It's hard to go that far, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, it's hard to think that far ahead um, because we're not quite there, um, but I have hope. I have hope that next Christmas we'll be doing this a little bit differently than we are this Christmas, uh, this holiday season. Um, so I'm hopeful. Yes, I would say overall I'm hopeful. Well, the Reverend Allison Weibel, uh, chaplain for Mercy Hospital St. Louis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.